0: If we start with the end in mind, which is the goal of getting every student to something that's going to be fulfilling for them individually and personally, and enable them to earn a decent living, I think we start to restructure a lot of the work that we do on access and completion. In some ways, that's the continued evolution that we need to make.
1: The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So, how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of
2: Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational
1: institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barcy. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. We welcome Vice President and Executive Director of the Aspen College Excellence Program, Josh Weiner, to talk with us today from the perspective of what the Aspen Institute does best. They are well known for their work in evaluating the ability of community colleges across the country to improve student outcomes. One thing we learned from this conversation today is that understanding the students' needs is a great starting point in creating more engagement in the classroom that could lead to better outcomes as we aim for completion. Here's our host, Salvatrice Kumo, to guide this eye-opening conversation. Welcome
2: back to another episode of The Future of Work, hosted by Pasadena City College. I am your host here, Salvatrice, and joining me today Is Mr. Josh Weiner, vice president of the Aspen Institute and... Founder-Director of the College Excellence Program. Hello, Josh.
0: Hello, Salvatrice. Good to be with you today.
2: Thank you so much. You have such an amazing and demanding role, I can only imagine. And I'm most grateful you've slated some time to talk to us about the future of work and what that might look like through your lens. I'm super curious, and I'm sure our listener is too. Let's start there for our listener who is not familiar with the Aspen Institute College Excellence Program you know, let's talk a little bit about how the program seeks to affect change when it comes to improving higher ed practices and leaderships. What is that all about?
0: Thanks for asking. So so the Aspen Institute College Excellence Program is our main higher education program at Aspen. And Aspen has a number of different policy programs. Overall, the organization is designed to advance values-based leadership and solve difficult challenges facing our country and the world. And and we work on higher education because the history of both the United States and other countries has shown that college education is critical to individual mobility and also to developing the talent that our communities and our regions and our country need to advance everything from industry to to democracy to invention. And so we work at the College Excellence Program to advance the policies, and and try to really identify which colleges are doing exceptional work on both of those fronts. Helping students get the education they need so that they can advance personally in the world, and to do so equitably to make sure that Black and Latinx and lower-income students, as well as others that have often not been served as well by higher ed, to make sure that they can get ahead. So on the one hand, we're looking for colleges that really move students into self-sustaining jobs, into fulfilling careers, into engaging lives. And on the other hand, that are really focusing their efforts on developing the talent needed in their community, again, equitably done. So really, our mission is to, you know, with 4,000 colleges across the country, including 1,100 community colleges, is to identify those that are really doing the best work on those fronts, and then to Develop the leaders and the research uh, understanding of how that was done, and help others replicate that very effective practice.
2: Now, in that discovery process across the institutions, specifically community colleges, in the vein of improving student outcomes through this process with the College Excellence Program, has there been anything that you've observed during the pandemic that speaks to really the purpose and the mission? of the College Excellence Program. Who's really kind of responded best to this crisis and any key lessons that we can learn from them?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. First, I should mention that three quarters of our work is with community colleges reflecting how much we value Pasadena and other institutions like it around the country that are working so hard at the intersection of student success and racial and socioeconomic equity. So it's a great question, Salvatrice. I I think there are two things that we've seen that colleges had done before the pandemic that really have helped them succeed during the pandemic. The first of those is that they had a handle on what students were experiencing, They had organized the college to really understand deeply what students needed and to modify all of their systems accordingly. So some of them had really good case management systems where they had advisors who were in regular touch with students. And so when the pandemic hit, they quickly knew from the data that they were looking at and from the relationships they had built, which students were struggling and with what they were struggling to continue in school. Those that had understood students' experiences also tended to know a couple of things. One is that many students struggled to feel a sense of belonging in the classroom, that they didn't feel as though their professors were as engaged with them as they needed the professors to be in order to continue and learn. And so a lot of those colleges had done really hard work on teaching and learning to work with professors on figuring out how to enable students to feel a sense of belonging in the classroom before the pandemic. And that really carried through the pandemic. Students were more likely to stay engaged if they felt that there were people there who cared and people who were working hard to engage them in the classroom. So I think this idea of understanding the student experience and putting it at the center of the college set up a number of colleges to do exceptionally well during the pandemic and to retain more students and to help them succeed. The second thing that we've seen is partnership. Colleges that have really good partnerships with others in the community have leveraged those really well during the pandemic. So what do those partnerships look like? Well, they include partnerships for non-academic supports, right? Food banks and housing agencies and, you know, in traditional times, transportation, all of that's been less important, obviously, during the pandemic. But but those, you know, childcare for single moms, the kinds of partnerships that were developed before the pandemic really enabled them to respond to the number of students who were losing jobs or needed additional services during the pandemic. Similarly, though, they also had partnerships with four-year universities and employers and others who really valued what the community college was sending them, in terms of qualified students, and we're willing to work with them. So let's take universities as an example. A number of colleges around the country have guaranteed or dual admission programs where you literally are admitted to the community college and the four-year university at the same time. We see that in Central Florida, University of Central Florida with its partners, Valencia and others. We see that with George Mason University and its partner, Northern Virginia Community College. And, you know, in those circumstances, students knew why they were staying in school, and they knew that they weren't just a student at the community college, but they were at the same time a student at the four-year university. And again there, that those programs seem to have held student enrollment better because students had a sense of purpose with these partnerships. They created this kind of seamlessness in the educational experience. So those are a couple of examples of where really strong partnerships built before the pandemic. Helped colleges retain their students, serve their students better, and ultimately doing both better by students, but also better by the college, maintaining enrollments as a result of those things.
2: And it sounds like those partnerships. And that seamless, uninterrupted journey for the student, even though we're in in the middle of the pandemic, it sounds as though that's not only is it going to carry us through the pandemic, but also post-pandemic, right? As we continue to build our talent for the workforce, sounds like those relationships are just going to get stronger because there's lessons learned from even how they've engaged through this time in a very non-traditional, non-normal way. Of engagement.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, we see it in dual enrollment, too, that students who start to gain a sense of purpose in high school for a college degree and why they're in school and what kinds of careers they might get as a result of their education, again, are much more likely to stick it out. I think that those partnerships remain really important. Students don't experience education from one institution in their lives. They experience it from multiple institutions. And the more institutions can start to work together to craft an integrated and seamless experience, I think the more students are going to feel supported and be supported in achieving their educational goals. So I think you're exactly right that what has worked during the pandemic was often built before the pandemic and will last after the pandemic.
2: And speaking of which, now, as it relates to these engagements of partnerships and relationships, specifically engaging our industry and our employers as it's directly tied to student outcomes, we know that. We know that it works. You've just shared with us that it works. As a system of community colleges and perhaps those that there's areas of improvement for those colleges and on the flip side of that, industry and employers who are willing to engage but have not yet engaged, what steps do you feel we as employers and community colleges really should be taking to improve those
0: relationships,
2: again, to further the development of building our talent for the workforce post-pandemic?
0: First, I'll just say that employers are not going to receive the diverse and talented workforce they need, unless they figure out how to work closely with community colleges. And I say that because we've seen that it can be done. We've seen in Houston with San Jacinto College, how a really strong relationship between the college and employers and healthcare and maritime and other fields can get students to be trained for good jobs, and you know, the average wages out of, out of San Jacinto College for graduates, this is five years after graduation, are $80,000 a year.
2: That's amazing. Um, this
0: is a large college of 25, 30,000 students in, in the Houston area. Now, it's a strong labor market. So I'm not saying that that can be accomplished everywhere, but it is the tight relationship between the college and the employers that enables that. And, and, and so what is that built on? Well, well, from the college side, I think the first thing is to really think critically about whether the programs at the college are aligned to what industry needs. That doesn't mean devaluing liberal arts at all. In fact, most good jobs require a bachelor's degree and beyond. So liberal arts professors listening to this, I'm with you. Um, uh, You are critical to the development of the workforce of the future. But it also means that in the career and technical education programs to really ask, where are the growing jobs? Where are the replacement jobs? Where, where are the places that opportunities available? Who are the, for, for good jobs, not low wage work, but good jobs, who are the students in our college right now or in the community, potential students? who really could benefit from being connected to those jobs. So I think the first is having a vision for what you're trying to accomplish and constantly asking, not just program by program, but across the entire institution, are we aligning what we do with both the needs of employers and the needs of students and making that connection? Then there are a number of systems that we've seen in our research that really do matter for enabling students to get through Guided pathways work where there's really clear program sequences, course sequences for students, so that they they've started to figure out what they want to do. They get on a clear path so that they can efficiently get to a degree, making sure that in that pathway that there's really good work-based learning that really matters. How do you know as a college that there's strong work-based learning that's available to every student? That you know, if you're a low-income student, you can still do work-based learning. Even if you're working another, you know, if you have if you have to be working a job while you're in school. But
2: which well, the majority of our students do. Right. I mean, as community college, our fabric is, just, is built that way.
0: And then also things like program review. So, so here's an example of something that we've done for a long time in community colleges. We review programs on a rotating schedule every three years. Well, if you're trying to align your programs to an industry that's changing rapidly, like information technology or healthcare or manufacturing. Frankly, most work these days changes pretty quickly because technology evolves so quickly. Shouldn't you do annual program review? And then shouldn't you really be creating the conditions during that to really investigate what's going on both in communities, the conditions of students, and on the, you know, in the workplace? So, we have done research showing what a great program review annual program review process looks like, you can find them on the the Aspen Institute website. I don't want to go into great detail, but but there are those kinds of things that we've done for a long, long time, that if we're really serious at colleges about aligning our programs to not what the industry needed yesterday, but what it needs today and tomorrow, we can re-examine those systems and strengthen them so that we're getting honest feedback from employers, delivering the talent that employers need, and making sure that employers are walking the walk on equitable access for the diverse students that we have. It certainly
2: does speak back to the point of what you shared earlier in community colleges as, you know, the College Excellence Program is really taken a look at the inequities that exist and how we best approach that. And building these relationships, of course, removes some of those barriers and provides access that we normally may had not may not have had, had we not examined our systems, had we not done an evaluation process, and be critical. It's okay to be critical because we learn from that and we grow from that. I think, I really appreciate you saying that. And I think for me, when I think about these relationships and when I think about really the inequities that we're currently facing with our Black and Hispanic students and their student achievement. There's been many solutions, but some solutions are just kind of a band-aid Just switch gears just a little bit because you made a recommendation as a potential key solution to addressing that issue of Black and Hispanic student achievement back in January as it relates to Pell Grants. Could you share more about that and how that might decrease the inequities that that we're currently seeing?
0: Absolutely. And, and I should mention that we're taping this right after President Biden has released his plan for free community college and to increase by $1,800 a year. I think it is the amount of Pell Grants. And uh, back in January, I, along with many other advocates, supported uh, doubling Pell Grants, uh, really to take the bold step of recognizing that the five thousand six hundred dollars, roughly, that uh, were available for Pell Grants, it, it was just increased by four hundred. It's somewhere in the high five five thousand, close to six thousand uh, maximum available to students is completely inadequate to enable students to go to school. And if we're serious as a country about closing equity gap, we have to recognize that Black and Hispanic and Indigenous students have been shut out of higher education and unable to complete higher education, in substantial part because they couldn't afford it. We are all working on student success and access is not enough, but without access, you don't have success. And so for that reason, I've been advocating uh, not just an incremental increase in Pell Grants, but doubling them, because Pell Grants have not kept up with inflation. And it is our main way, as a country, we invest in students from lower income backgrounds, students who, but for this aid, could not go to college and advance their skills so that they can take advantage of the economic opportunity that exists for them and their families and their communities. So I'm a proponent of increasing the amount of federal aid. States have to play a role too. And you know one of the sticking points now as this gets negotiated, Um, as was pointed out by by Kevin Carey in the New York Times this week, is that states that have invested less in student aid will be getting more under the formula that was set forth by Biden. And states like California, which have invested a huge amount in student aid, holding community college tuition lower than any place else in the country, stand to gain less. And, And that's just not right. Um, it should not be that if you've made the investment at the state level, that the federal government says, well, you just don't need as much money to support free community college as part of, part of this work. So, so there are some details that need to be worked out. And, and I will say that California deserves its fair share uh, per student to support uh, students, whether it's in free community college or it's in, in the increase in Pell Grants. We shouldn't lose the forest for the trees here. The forest is pell grants have not kept pace with inflation anywhere near that that students are failing to attend and dropping out of college because they can't afford it because they have to work too many hours while they're in school so that they can't get through efficiently and and get to their degrees as quickly as they need to and we as a country can reap incredible rewards if we invest in our diverse students back to your original question about equity it is black and hispanic and indigenous students who are more likely to struggle because we don't have adequate pell grants in our country because we don't provide adequate financial aid and so if we're serious about being justice warriors uh, being anti-racist w- we need to we need to make good on that promise through our funding mechanisms
2: thank you for sharing that i think there is a ton of validation reports research that will support that and as we move forward. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. As I sit here and I'm, and I'm talking to you and I think about everything that we've shared, to activate on what we shared here today requires college leaders to kind of rethink their practices a little bit or rethink their local systems. And it also requires us to properly prepare future college leaders as we continue to address these issues. I'd really like to hear what you might think are core competencies for our future leaders, our future college leaders, and existing ones too, as we guide ourselves through this for the remainder of the 21st century.
0: What we've seen at excellent colleges is that they have exceptional leadership and that is always sustained at the presidential level. It exists at the cabinet level and at the board level as well, because without a strong cabinet senior team and strong board, it's unlikely that you will retain and sustain the work of, a, of an excellent president. This does not mean that leadership throughout the institution is unimportant. Quite the opposite. One of the things that leaders need to understand, that presidents and cabinets need to understand, is how to engage faculty and staff and department chairs and directors of programs and financial aid frontline officers and, and and registrars in the effort of advancing student success, including helping them activating their ideas for strategic plans and for how to improve the work. So, so this is not to say that leadership throughout the organization is unimportant. And it is also true that we have yet to see an excellent college without sustained excellent senior leadership. And so the question then becomes that we asked ourselves six or eight years ago, along with our partner Achieving the Dream, another national nonprofit that works with community colleges that your listeners may have heard of, is what are the qualities of these exceptional leaders? What what do they do? What distinguishes leaders who advance equitable student success, who really move colleges so more students graduate and have Credentials that give them the best chance to be successful in the next stage of their lives and close equity gaps in those measures. What are those qualities of leaders that enable them to do that? And we found five things that really distinguished leaders. Uh, One is a deep commitment to student success, access, and equity, that they come to the work primarily because of a belief in students, even more than a belief in institutions even more than a desire to advance their own careers. We all care about those things, right? Nobody nobody does this work completely selflessly, but, but what distinguished them first and foremost was that it was almost religious for them, this belief in student success and equity and the possibility of higher education to advance lives and communities. The second thing that really mattered was strategic ability to move the institution, to really see the whole institution and to have a plan for how to move the whole institution forward, not just its component parts, but to set goals and to inspire folks to all row in the same direction towards an aspirational vision. That visionary and strategic ability to really strengthen systems then behind that was, was very important. Thirdly, we saw that they're able to partner in the community, that they're able to see that, as we talked about earlier, Salatrice, that students don't experience the community college in isolation. They experience it in conjunction with K-12, with with universities, with employers with community-based organizations and so they don't raise money they develop partnerships with which bring resources to mission so what does that look like it, it looks like really building trust with an employer so that the employer is relying on the college to deliver talent regularly and sees so much value in that that the employer is willing to invest in equipment and scholarships for students and even faculty who are still working at the corporation on the corporation payroll but are teaching students how to use the most modern equipment because they see value in doing that. That's that's the kind of partnership development that matters. That set of things, strategic ability and vision deep commitment to student success and the ability to build partnership is what we teach in our fellowship programs by and large.
2: Tell me more about the fellowship. Did you just sunset one a cohort?
0: Uh, yes, and actually Cynthia Alivo, shout out to Cynthia if you're listening to Cynthia, this. Cynthia, shout out. Cynthia is a graduate of one of our early cohorts and we did just complete one of our cohorts for our Rising Presidents fellowship. So so every year we work with 65 leaders Uh, nationally a year in an intensive eight to 10 month long program. A little under half of them are sitting presidents who are new to the presidency. And a little over half of them are what we call rising presidents. These are folks in deanships and vice presidencies. And Um, You know, what we're looking for are diverse leaders who either are presidents recently or anticipate stepping into a presidency over the next five years. And we want to create community among them. We select them because, first and foremost, they believe deeply in the mission. And then we look for some of the qualities that I mentioned earlier. Um, It is a competitive program to enter. And we've been delighted with the folks who have come through What we're seeing is out of 200 graduates of our Rising Presidents Fellowship, we now have seen about a third of them become community college presidents, and they are continuing to bond with one another and with the vice presidents, who are doing great work too, to create a community of practice. And and our hope is, frankly, that they will, you know, we're asking them, how do we support you? But our hope is that they will usher in a new generation of leadership that has new ideas, for how to advance student success and equity and can teach us all what the next generation of community college reform will look like.
2: And speaking of the next generation of community colleges and what that might look like, you're right. It does start with cultivating college leaders now for the future, but it also speaks to what you had wrote about not too long ago on community colleges or higher education specifically reclaiming its value proposition. And I think that the majority of what we spoke about today speaks to the value of our community colleges. Looking back, when you wrote that, and now where we are today, and where we need to be tomorrow, what should we be seeking to make additional improvements to achieve that goal? Are we there yet, or are you saying Salvatrice, you know, we've 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 still got a, a, quite a bit to go to reclaim our value prop, which I appreciate that term, by the way, coming from the corporate and private sector myself (laughs) and the majority of my career. Where are we at with that?
0: I think the big shift that we need to continue to make is, look, community colleges have done an incredible job as access institutions. We've held costs low for most of our programs. We don't have entrance requirements. And we have a deep commitment to making sure that any student who comes through our doors can enroll in courses, and can succeed. I think what we've realized over the last 20 years and been working really hard at, and Pasadena certainly has done great work on this front, is that we need to help more students graduate, right? And that is what I call Community College 2.0. 1.0 was when we really focused on access. 2.0 is access plus completion. And It is much better to graduate than not to graduate. Let's be very clear. That is really important. The shift we need to make if we're really going to deliver value is one more shift. And that is to own the success of our students after they graduate. Where is it that our students go after they graduate? Well, they either go back into the workforce or they go into the workforce for the first time or they transfer to a four-year college or university. By and large, those are the places that they are going to be engaging in the next stage of their lives and and so i think if we're going to deliver value what students want from us is that they're seamlessly ready for a four-year college experience and all of their credits count so how do we make that happen how do we make sure that every student graduates who wants to transfer and get a bachelor's degree and then go on to a good job or graduate school and then a good job how do we make sure that every one of their credits counts towards the degree that they go to That's delivering value. Similarly, on the workforce side, how do we make sure that every student who comes in our door um, really has an opportunity to enroll in a program that's going to give them a family sustaining wage job? You know, a lot of students report they came to college and they knew they wanted to be a hairdresser or they knew they wanted to work with children and they ended up in an early childhood program. And, they're surprised to learn when they graduate that they can't support themselves with the wages that they earn, and so, what does it mean to make sure that every student really understands that you'd like to work with children let's talk about your being a kindergarten teacher. What does the pathway to that look like? You like to help people and you're thinking you might want to be a hairdresser? Well, what about a social worker? What about a work in a healthcare setting that can pay you decently? I think if we start with the end in mind, which is the goal of getting every student to something that's going to be fulfilling for them individually and personally and enable them to earn a decent living. I I think we start to restructure a lot of the work that we do on access and completion, our financial aid systems, our advising systems, what courses we advise students on, whether we mandate that they do certain things along the way to make sure that those things are aligned. If we know those things are aligned, to being successful after they graduate. In some ways, that's, that's the, the continued evolution that we need to make, which is to recognize why students come to us, recognize what they need, recognize that delivering equitable education racially just education means focusing on post-graduation success because a lot of black and Hispanic students are in fact in those low-wage programs and are not taking the courses they need to transfer. So I think if we own post-graduation success and and ask ourselves the question, how do we reform ourselves to help more students have successful lives? There's a lot of terrific work that we can do and Pasadena is doing much of that work. No college is perfect every college has a ways to go. But Pasadena, as a finalist for the Aspen Prize, has shown that it understands how to move students to degrees of value. And so, uh, you know, I just want to appreciate the work that's been done there. But but that's what I would say. We, we, You know, I would say every college has done some of it, and no college has done all of it. And back to your point earlier, it's all about continuous improvement. We all need to consistently get better at that. And I'm really hopeful, given what I'm seeing in the field, that the colleges are moving in the right direction.
2: That's really a really good way to really conclude our chat here today is that we, as a system, as professionals, as members of our community, we are always in a constant state of improvement. And it is only then that we'll see growth and that we'll see shifts and that we will truly own and prepare our talent for the future of work. So thank you so much. You've certainly ignited me as an administrator of this work and as an aspiring college president. And I know that you've ignited the listeners. And I thank you, Josh. I know you've got quite a bit going on today, but this has been just wonderful. And I foresee a a episode 2.0 on this work because I think there's quite a bit that's evolving and I'd love to circle back with you on it.
0: Well, thank you, Salvatrice. And, And I will just say I'm energized by your work And by the work of everybody who is in community colleges, to me, you're right, I am busy, but it's joyful busyness because I get to see what you're doing. I get to see what all of the faculty and staff and administrators who are listening to this, what you're doing to advance student success and equity and your commitment and your smarts in doing the work is how I learn. And share with the field. So so thank you for giving me some time to chat with you and, and to build on what I've learned from Pasadena and other colleges.
2: My pleasure. My pleasure. And before we close, Josh, if there are listeners who'd like to connect with you, might there be a best way to do that that we could include in the show notes?
0: Well, first, I would send them to the Aspen Institute College Excellence Program website. If you Google that, just Aspen Institute College Excellence Program, and you can find a lot of guides and other material that explains in more detail some of the research that we've done and curriculum we've developed. So I would encourage folks to reach out and learn about that. And on that site, there is a a request page, Contact Us, where you can submit a request, You know, what I'll say is we have a team of 38 people, including four retired community college presidents who often are the best ones to ask questions of. So (laughs) what I would request is that, you know, who I learn from every day. And when I see something in the field, I'll go to them and say, hey, is this common or is this uncommon? And, you know, they're my sounding board. So we've got an incredibly talented team of 38 individuals. uh, And in 10 percent of the cases, I might be the right one. connect with, but in 90%, I probably am not. So uh, I would encourage (laughs) folks to use that connection page to contact us. And I promise if I'm the best one, I will reach out directly and uh, answer anybody's question.
2: Very good. Thank you so much, Josh. Such a pleasure. And we will chat soon.
0: Fantastic. Good to be with you, Salvatrice.
2: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.